Compromise. Compromise. Is it good or is it a bad thing? What do you think? What do you think about compromise? It's good, they say, isn't it, to reach a compromise? It's good in relationships to reach a compromise, isn't it? Compromise, is it a good thing? Is it a bad thing? Sometimes people say it's good to reach a compromise. But then, of course, we, we look at the news and we remember things like the Grenfell Tower Company. And they compromised, didn't they, on safety. I, I think, sadly, we'll hear in the next few weeks that, sadly, that submarine company did too. Compromise. And we know in the Bible, characters like Solomon. Solomon compromised on diplomatic marriages. We know on the global stage that nations compromise with dictators. And I think we're ever so personally aware that we compromise with sin, don't we? Sin can be so subtle, can't it? After all, what's wrong with a bit of compromise? Well, here we are in the book of 1 Kings. We're following a book that describes the spiritual decline of a nation. It is a post-mortem. It is unpacking what went wrong and why it happened so that we can learn from it. The first half of the book of 1 Kings was dedicated to looking at a great king, King Solomon. The back half of the book looks at an evil king, King Ahab. And he's been in the background over these last few weeks. And now we get to chapter 20 with King Ahab. And something quite surprising happens. In chapter 20, we meet a king and we know he's a bad king, but he gets a second chance. It's quite something if you've been following since chapter 16, if we followed him and his wife. Um, Look with me, for example, at verse 1. Here at the beginning of our passage, we find Israel is under siege. It's been invaded by a Syrian army and 32 other kings. Now you say, Ollie, that doesn't sound like a second chance. An invasion sounds quite bad. (laughs) But you might remember last week, there was a a prophecy that a king called Hazael would come from Syria. And he would be the agent of judgment. Now, what is the king here? What's the king's name in chapter 1? It's not Hazael, is it? It's a guy called Ben-Hadad. The destro- Hazael the destroyer isn't here yet. It feels like there's a second chance for Ahab. And as we follow this passage, war unfortunately does, um, does unfold for Israel. But even as that happens, we find a prophet brings the word of the Lord to Ahab, this evil king, And gives him a second chance. He says, the Lord's going to deliver the Syrians into your hands. And Ahab, you're going to be rescued. And we think, well, that's a turn up for the books. We weren't expecting that. Okay, wow, Ahab is rescued. And so as we get to this chapter, one of our big questions is going to be, what's going to happen with Ahab? An evil king offered a second chance. What will he do with it? Will he turn and trust the Lord, or will he compromise like he has so often? After all, what's wrong with a bit of compromise? Well, let's see then. Let's look at this second chance offered to Ahab and follow it through. 
Firstly, there's a second chance, and it's an opportunity to know the Lord. Point number one, here is an opportunity to know the Lord in verses 1 to 34. Here's King Ahab in Israel, and he survived a drought. He's even survived Elijah so far, and Elijah is off the scene. And we've heard about this invasion and this king, Ben-Hadad, and we hear from this invading king in verses 2 to 3. Look what he says. Thus says Ben-Hadad, your silver and your gold are mine. Your best wives and children are mine. This guy has invaded. He presumably thinks the invasion is going well because now he's making all sorts of demands. (laughs) I own you now. That's the feel of it, isn't it? Submit to my rule. Pay up. I want the best of everything you've got. Your gold, your silver, your wives and your children. Pay your tribute to me says this evil, invading dictator. But notice here, not just what he says, but the way he says it. Look, pay attention, look what he says again. Thus says Ben-Hadad, your silver and gold are mine. Now, is it me, or does that sound like a guy playing up like he's God? He's speaking as if he is the divine ruler, creator and owner and maker of everything. Thus says me, I own everything. It's outrageous, isn't it? And and even evil King Ahab should spot this. But what does Ahab say? Look at verse 4. What's his response? It's not, uh, that's nonsense. His response is, as you say, my Lord, O King, I am yours and all that I have. I don't suppose it's a surprise to us. Ahab has followed his wicked wife Jezebel so easily. I suppose it's not a surprise to see him following this Syrian king. Ahab here just can't, doesn't seem to be able to know the Lord. To know the Lord as the ruler and the one with divine power. See, here's Ahab and he should be trusting the Lord. But he's not, is he? He's playing tactics. He's, he's wondering, here's this guy and he's shown up demanding tribute. And he's thinking, do I pay him off and risk him asking for more? Or do I say no and hope he goes away, but risk a a big fight? I'll probably lose. If he knew the Lord, of course, he wouldn't have to play tactics at all. Well, he goes for the first option. Sadly, paying off this evil dictator doesn't work, as so often it doesn't with evil dictators. And Ben-Hadad says, I'm going to send my servants to take what they want. It's utter humiliation for Ahab. He's showing he's open to being pillaged. And in the end, Ahab does stand up to Ben-Hadad and says no. And there's a bit of tit for tat. You'll notice it in verse 10. Ben-Hadad says something like this. My huge army is going to turn you to dust. Now, if, if that isn't wicked, I don't know what is. And Ahab makes a cute reply, something about wait, wait till you take your armor off before you boast. But basically, the game is up. Israel are in a war that they will almost certainly lose until shock of all shocks, the Lord God turns up for Ahab. There is a second chance. And look at it there in verse 13. And behold, a prophet came near to Ahab, king of Israel, and said, thus says the Lord, have you seen all this great multitude? Behold, I will give it into your hands this day, and you shall know that I am the Lord, says the Lord. See, here's the Lord, and he's showing mercy to this king. He's saying, you're you're behaving as if Ben-Hadad is Lord God. 
or I'm going to show you he's not when I deliver him into your hands. This is a second chance to know the Lord. See, I wonder if it sounds familiar to you. I think this is almost word for word, words from the book of Exodus. Isn't this what God said to Moses and the people of Israel? Oh, you think Pharaoh is God, do you? Well, I'll show you I'm the Lord when I deliver Pharaoh into your hands, devoted to destruction. And as with Pharaoh, so should it be with Ben-Hadad. They're to be destroyed, and the Lord is to be known as God. Not just generally here. The Lord is to be known here, not just generally, but specifically. The Lord shows up here and offers Ahab a second chance to know him. To know that the Lord is the one who fights for the weak. That's Israel here, they're totally helpless. That was them in the Exodus, slaves, totally weak and helpless. And the Lord says, I'm the one who fights for the weak, who stands up for the powerful, who will not wink at evil, but destroy it. He is a God who is perfect in goodness, standing against evil. Anyone who claims to be God and pick on other people, I will not stand for it, says the Lord. Know that I am the Lord. And I'll destroy all pretenders. I will stand against evil. Well, Ahab has a few questions. But by and large, the battle is a formality. This Syrian king, um, he gets drunk as if he's already won the victory. And he sends his chariots out into battle, of course. You always send the chariots, don't you? But it's hill country. And so it doesn't work. And a mighty blow is dealt by the Lord. It is... It is an exodus victory again, except for one thing, Ben-Hadad escapes. The Lord is showing that he is Lord. He will have victory over evil. And he won't just have a half victory, he will have a total victory. So we see in verse 22, the prophet comes again and says, essentially he says, get ready, in the spring the Syrians will come again. And sure enough, we get a behind-the-scenes picture. Now look at verse 23, what's going on in in Syria. Um, The Syrians assess the battle. Ah, what went wrong here? And their answer is that they think they got their theology wrong. (laughs) See, they thought Israel's God was no God at all, so we'll beat the Israelites, they thought. But now they think they've learned that Israel's God is a God of hills. So, of course, he won on the hills. But ah, if we fight them in the valleys or fight, fight them in the plains, we'll win there. The Syrians think the Lord God is a bit part God. See, here is an opportunity for Ahab and the nations to know that the Lord is not a bit part God. He's Lord of all. It's interesting, isn't it? As an aside here, they, they think so much like we do, don't they? So often we think God is not so big. He is not holy and powerful and Lord and sovereign owner over all things. You know, you sometimes find yourself thinking God isn't, God can't do things in these spaces and places. Oh, I'm at work. God can't be at work here. He's a God of the churches and the religious places, right? Oh, I'm in the supermarket. I'm with the neighbor. The Lord wouldn't possibly be at work here. But no, the Lord means to show that he's Lord over all. His authority extends over everything. And the next battle is going to show this. Look at verse 28. A man of God came near and said to the king of Israel, Thus says the Lord God, Because the Syrians have said the Lord is a God of the hills, but he's not a God of the valleys, 
Therefore, I will give all this great multitude into your hands, and you shall know that I'm the Lord. The Lord is determined to be truly known as the God who is really God and Lord of all and who stands against evil. So he'll defeat the Syrians. Again, the battle report is short and to the point. There's a seven-day stakeout, and then the Syrians are well beaten. Some flee to a city, and some walls fall down. Now, again, if you're into your Bible, there might be some things going, oh, yeah, well, that's seven days, walls falling down. This is familiar, isn't it? We had the Exodus. This feels like Jericho in the Old Testament, doesn't it? Jericho in the Old Testament was a city so evil that it faced total annihilation. It it was to be totally expunged. And here we are, and the Lord is saying, yeah, I totally stand against evil. It will be totally stopped. And here it is, a comprehensive victory against evil. But notice again, apart from Ben-Hadad, apart from the dictator, what's happened to him? Oh, well, don't worry, he's trapped inside the city. Left for Ahab to sort. So here we have it. The Lord has shown, the Lord has let it be known that he's the one true God who stands against evil. He is the Lord. All that remains is for King Ahab to finish the job. Now, I'd like us to play a bit of a game, as it were, here. It's called, Do You Think It's a Nice Ending? Okay, everyone game for playing this game? Do you think it's a nice ending? So come with me to verse 32. Here's this evil dictator. He's surrounded and his servants come out first and start to beg for his life. So come with me to verse 32. They tied sackcloth around their waists, put ropes on their head, and went to the king of Israel and said, Your servant Ben-Hadad says, please let me live. And Ahab said, oh, does he still live? He, um, he, he, yes, he's my brother. Now, the men were watching for a sign, and they quickly took it up from him and said, yeah, 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 yeah your brother, ben, Ben-Hadad. And he said, go and bring him out. And then Ben-Hadad came out, and he caused him to come up into the chariot. And Ben-Hadad said to him, the cities that my father took from your father I'll restore, and you may establish bazaars for yourself in Damascus, as my father did in Samaria. And Ahab said, yes, I will let you go on these terms. So he made a covenant with him and let him go. And so the question is, was that a nice ending? Did you think that was a nice ending? I think if the story stopped here, we would think that was a nice ending. Oh, isn't it nice? Ahab was given a second chance, and now he's given a a second chance to Ben-Hadad. How lovely. If only things were always like that. Except this isn't one of those moments, is it? This was a moment where the Lord was showing he is God and he stands against evil. He rescues his people. He triumphs over evil. This is a moment where Pharaoh was supposed to be hurtled into the bottom of the ocean. This is a moment where the dictator was not supposed to be given his throne back. He was supposed to be served his sentence. Because the Lord stands against evil. And the crime here is that Ahab hadn't even noticed At this point, we long that Ahab would stand back and say, Ahab, just look at what the Lord has done. Look how he has defeated evil. 
Can you see who the Lord is? Ahab's had a second chance. He doesn't stop to think. You'd think he'd want to get his head around it, but he doesn't. He's got a second chance because he survived a battle. But he's also got a second chance to know the Lord. This is an opportunity above all to know the Lord as the one who stands against evil. And he doesn't stop to think. He's back to tactics again. Oh, yes. Um, yeah, I'll let him off. Better, better keep him around. He's, he hasn't changed at all since the very beginning of the story. A couple of months ago, I was um, channel surfing on the TV, as you sometimes do. And uh, one of those kind of human interest documentary programs came on. It was a program about people who'd been rescued by strangers. It was fascinating. I I don't normally go for those programs, but I enjoyed this one. And uh, there was a story about a lady who had been travelling on the tube in London. And she'd passed out and she'd fallen on the tracks. And sure enough, a train was coming. And she sort of managed to get get up. And a hand came down and pulled her off the tube line. But the tube that had arrived was this gentleman's, it was his tube. So he got on the train and vanished. Now, how would you feel if someone had lifted you off the tracks and rescued you? You wouldn't be happy to just carry on, would you? You wouldn't be happy for events to overtake you. I wasn't surprised this woman reached out to the BBC and said, can you help me find this guy who saved my life? You'd want to know your saviour. And here is Ahab, and he has been saved. He has been given a second chance. And he doesn't even stop to see who has saved him, who the Lord is. You know, so much of the Bible is concerned with this thought that we are to know and contemplate and reflect on who the Lord is. The Lord shows who he is in what he does. And here he stood against evil. Does Ahab know it? He hasn't even noticed. You know, friends, whether we know who the Lord is will be shown in our actions, won't it? If we know that the Lord is the God who stands against evil, I think we will start to stand differently to evil ourselves, won't we? Now, how does does Ben-Hadad behave? Uh, How does Ahab behave? He says, oh, Ben-Hadad might be useful to me. A little bit of evil in my life. Yeah, that'd be, that'd be useful. Let's keep this guy around. He'll scratch my back. Ahab compromises the future. He sells out. He thinks it's better to wink at evil and keep it around. It's like letting a, a murderer with a machete go and giving him the machete back. <laughs> Ahab's had the Lord's rescue but he'll prefer to keep a bit of evil around. He's had an opportunity to know the Lord, but no, Ahab would rather compromise. Friends, I think we need to look here and and see and reflect here. We, We cannot know the Lord and maintain our alliances with, as it were, evil, with sin, right? And yet it's so easy for us, isn't it, to compromise Compromise, what's the problem with that? A little bit of sin in my life, a little allowance, it never did anyone any harm. So you will tolerate internet pornography. Even though the Lord stands against the evil misuse of sex and the exploitation of women. Nothing wrong with a bit of compromise, is there? 
You tolerate the hoarding of wealth because the Lord is God, but I need a little bit for me, and what's wrong with a bit of compromise? Well, friends, not if we know the Lord is God and he stands against evil. My wealth isn't just for me. We compromise on a relationship. Surely it's better for me not to fall out with the Lord over this. You allow yourself to maintain anger and aggression towards others. You refuse to resolve conflicts. You never admit any blame. I'm always right. And yet the Lord says in our proud, we, in our pride, we are not in the right. We must be humble before him. And yet so often we would compromise. Ahab had an opportunity to know the Lord. The Lord is the one who throws the forces of evil into hell. He's the one who wants evil done away with. And we kid ourselves thinking it would be better to keep some around. Ahab had a second chance, an opportunity to know the Lord. Secondly, Ahab had a second chance and it was an opportunity to obey the Lord. This is there in verses 35 to 43, an opportunity to obey the Lord. And this, I think, is really where this story has been getting to. We've had two battles and now we have two prophetic acts going on. And the first one's there in verse 35. Two prophets are walking down the road. Sounds like the beginning of a joke, actually, doesn't it? Um, two prophets are walking down the road. One says to the, the other, by the word of the Lord, strike me. Now, the other prophet says, no, I'm not going to strike you. But it's a word of the Lord. So the fellow prophet says to him who'd refused, verse 36, because you have not obeyed the voice of the Lord, behold, as soon as you've gone from me, a lion shall strike you down. And as soon as he had departed from him, a lion met him and struck him down. Now, this is a little prophetic, symbolic act of what's just happened, isn't it? Ahab refused to strike down Ben-Hadad. And so he will be struck down. This was a command to obey the word of the Lord. And so now Ahab faces judgment. He should have obeyed the Lord. But this scene, this prophetic scene, is just setting up another prophetic scene. The prophet is eventually struck by another prophet and he goes and sits by the road as if he is a soldier injured in battle. He has a wound, but it's just it's a ruse and he um, disguises himself by the road and he waits for King Ahab. Now, look with me at verse 39. Uh, here's some here's some drama. As the king passed, this pretend wounded, well, he's really wounded, but this disguised prophet, he cried to the king and said, your servant went out into the midst of battle, and behold, a soldier turned and brought a man to me and said, Guard this man. If by any means he is missing, your life shall be for his life, or else you shall pay a talent of silver. And as your servant was busy here and there, he was gone. And the king of Israel said to him, huh, Well, so shall your judgment be. You yourself have decided it. The prophet tells a story, and it's so obvious, isn't it? If you were asked to guard an enemy in a war zone, you wouldn't let them go, would you? Right? You know, as soon as you let a prisoner go in a war zone, they'll as soon as turn around and get you and all your mates, right? You don't let an enemy go in a war zone. The point here is there really is no excuse to let evil get loose. 
in the story, the servant says, oh, but I was, I was going here and I was going there. And so the enemy got free. <laughs> what? What? What, what, what had he been doing? Working on his image? Touching up his hair? Oh, the enemy's escaped. Oh, sorry, I was doing my hair. What was he doing? Making sure he looked moderate and temperate and reasonable and respectable? That's rubbish, isn't it? Ahab knows it himself. There is no excuse. There is no excuse. He says, your judgment is on yourself. There's no excuse to let an enemy go. King Ahab says, you soldier mate, your life's forfeit. And of course, the twist in the tale is, no, 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 Ahab, your life is forfeit. Look at verse 41. And he, the prophet, hurried to take the bandage away from his eyes. And the king of Israel recognized him as one of the prophets. And he said to him, thus says the Lord, because you have let go out of your hands the man whom I devoted to destruction, therefore your life shall be for his life and your people for his people. And the king of Israel went to his house, vexed and sullen, and came to Samaria. The point, he, the, King Ahab had an opportunity to obey the Lord. He didn't. And there was really no excuse for it. And he even recognized that himself so much so he condemned himself. The Lord gave Ben-Hadad into his hands and it was clear he was a pharaoh to be done away with. How dare he? How dare he reject the Lord's word? How dare he say, I know better than God? How dare he say, I am nicer than God and I know better than him? Because see, the opposite is true, isn't it? If the Lord, if we know who the Lord is, that he really is the one who perfectly stands against evil, then the only evil thing is to reject his word. Isn't it? Ahab said it was better to let evil continue. He said it was better to withhold justice. And that made him liable to judgment, didn't it? He should have obeyed the word of the Lord. Friends, if we've seen who the Lord is, It should make us desperate, oh, so desperate, to follow God's word. Because we know that doing anything other than following his word is what? Compromise. It puts us in Ahab's camp. We're tolerating evil. We're letting it go. Did you know that when you disobey God's word, you're allowing evil into the world, as it were? Evil that God wants out of the way, wants dead. And we're cooperating with it. That's the image here, isn't it? Isn't it? See, it may not suit us to give up our lusts. It may not suit us to give up our bank balances. It may not suit us to to give up our idolization of relationships. It may not suit us to, to give up on gossip. It may continue to suit us to wear a mask and never tell the truth. It's just a little bit of compromise. But the Lord stands against evil. And his word comes to us. We are to obey it. Friends, we are not to let sin, as it were, off the hook. We're not to let it go. The New Testament says, put to death sins of the flesh. You'd listen, wouldn't you, to a lifeguard at the beach? They blew their whistle. You'd listen to a policeman if they said, stop that man. You'd want to help, wouldn't you? You'd listen to the doctor if they said, take this tablet and stop eating those things. 
You'd listen, wouldn't you? You wouldn't even think about compromise. You just do it. How much more, friends, do we need to listen to the one who's Lord of all and stands against evil? Ask yourself this this morning. Where am I failing to obey the Lord right now? Where am I actively compromising on what God says? Or how about this one? And this really cuts. Where do I think I know better than God? Ouch, right? Where do I think I know better than God? Okay, Ollie, you say, well, thanks. I'm so glad I came to church this morning. Such a happy sermon. Thank you very much. Here's this conclusion. Ahab had a second chance, but he didn't go after knowing the Lord. And he didn't obey the Lord. And where does that leave us? Where does that leave me now? I feel like I've taken a punch in the chest. Look look how Ahab ended here as he heard the Lord's word of judgment on him. Look at verse 43. The king of Israel went to his house vexed and sullen and came to Samaria. Ahab comes away confused. Perhaps he was confused. Maybe he didn't really understand what he'd done wrong. Maybe he still needed that conviction of his heart, of his wrongdoing. Perhaps he was sad because now he just couldn't see a way out of this. What one second chance he felt like he had, he'd used it up. So he goes away sad. And let me say this morning, there is a chance that we will this morning go away sad. We ought to be convicted of our sin, friends. But if we're Christians, we shouldn't go away sad this morning. It's a hard teaching for us to hear. Many of us will feel like we keep failing the Lord. But do you know that even in this passage of failed second chances, there is another chance for Ahab. And therefore, there is another chance for us. Go back to the story the the prophet pretending to be a soldier was telling. Look at verse 39. I was told, guard this man. If by any means he is missing, your life shall be for his life. Doesn't stop there, does it? Or else you shall pay a talent of silver. Or else you shall pay a talent of silver. See, here's Ahab and he goes away sad under judgment. But if he'd been paying attention, he would have noticed that he didn't need to go away feeling like that. He could have said to the prophet, yes, my life is for his life, but what about the talent of silver? What about the ransom? Because there's a ransom here, isn't it? Now, Ahab didn't see it that day. But friends, we can see it this day, can't we? You see, if we feel like we have compromised with sin and that we just go, Lord, I've just failed you too much and I face the judgment, what do we see here? A ransom can be paid for blown second chances. And in Jesus Christ, the ransom is paid. That is the confession of the Christian church down through the ages, isn't it? The Lord Jesus Christ was sold to death for 30 pieces of silver. He was sold to pay a ransom. He died for sin, not his own. For judgment that should have fallen on others, it fell on him instead. Friends, compromise is awful, isn't it? But the Lord Jesus' ransom pays even for that. You may feel this morning like the most compromised believer that has ever existed. 
Well, look at Ahab. He let an evil dictator go free. Do you think you could ever forgive yourself if you let an evil dictator go free? Well, get this. There was a ransom even for Ahab if he would take it. He went away sad because he didn't take that ransom. But we don't need to go away like that, do we? We can know the ransom paid for sinners. Do you know that ransom? Take hold of it by faith. Shall we pray? Our gracious Father, we thank you for uh, our time this morning in this passage, old and strange as it has seemed to us. We thank you that you've spoken to us of our need to know who you are. We thank you that you have spoken to us of our need to obey your word. We thank you that you've reminded us of your total holiness. We thank you that you've reminded us of your opposition to evil. Thank you that for many of us this morning we'll have felt that conviction of sin. But thank you that you bring us to that place that we might take hold of the ransom in the Lord Jesus. Thank you that there is a rescue for sinners. And might we turn now in faith, hold on to his finished work for us. For we ask it for Jesus' sake. Amen.